This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and imane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor. The rich get rich, that's how it goes. Everybody knows. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded. Three years. 47 days, 6 hours, 59 minutes, and 30 seconds, and counting, until Mayan Doomsday, perhaps, December 22nd, 2012. Of course, uh, you, can't, uh, you can't walk down the street uh, these days without uh, uh, being hit by the um, media frenzy. It's plastered all over uh, uh, buses and bus shelters and billboards all over. And that, of course, is the uh, the 2012 uh, movie, which I believe premieres on Wednesday of this week, starring uh, John Cusack, among others, Amanda Peet, and some other notables. Huge, huge uh, expectations for this film. Uh, for many of you who are enthralled with the whole 2012 mystique, the 2012 phenomena, what is, what is 2012 all about? The Mayan calendar, the long count calendar that has been ticking away with amazing, frightening precision for some 5,125 years suddenly ends without explanation on or thereabout December 22nd, 2012. We're going to dedicate the bulk of the program tonight examining what 2012 might, all, might, might be all about. Is it some cataclysmic event? A black hole alignment? A pole shift? 
World War III? Or is it, as uh, some offer, uh, merely the end of one age and the beginning of another, perhaps the, the age of Aquarius? We'll be joined a little bit later in the program by a, a researcher, essayist, Thomas Rosetto, who will talk about what he says is the actual astronomy, or astrology, rather, the actual astronomy and astrology of 2012, Thomas Rosetto. Uh, first up, however, a good friend of the program, and uh, she's been with us um, actually quite recently. But uh, she is known as a New Thought Metaphysics Minister with an extensive background in metaphysics, spiritual studies, and the paranormal. She spent 15 years as a field investigator for the Mutual UFO Network in Los Angeles and San Diego and wrote for many paranormal magazines. Her interest in both science and the paranormal go back to childhood as her passion for writing and storytelling. And she currently serves as director of special projects at ARPAST, the Arkansas Paranormal and anomalous studies team and we're going to go back about a year uh, for her book that we'll be discussing tonight 2013 end of days or a new beginning envisioning the world after the events of 2012 a great pleasure to welcome marie d jones to the conspiracy show hello marie good to be back good to have you back yeah you're becoming a, a, a regular. <laughs> well, I guess I only have three more years to be on, huh? <laughs> then it's all over. <laughs> well, you know, you, <laughs> some might say, um, and we'll, we'll sort of uh, work our way through the book because there are so many theories. Oh, as yeah. to, and, and you've actually uh, uh, done a very tidy job of uh, encapsulating many of those. Um, but how did you get interested in in in, in 2012 uh, is it something that sort of was weighing on your uh, on your mind uh, or no. was it merely trying to sort of uh, uh, you know catch the wave of this whole 2012 frenzy no not at all in fact the reason why i wrote the book is cuz i was getting sick and tired of people coming up to me or emailing me and asking me what the deal was with 2012 and i realized that at the time i wrote the book which was you know a while ago there weren't, there may have been one or two, but there weren't really any books that sort of threw together every theory and prophecy and prediction. So I thought, well, you know, I'm pretty good at that. That's kind of what I've been doing with my writing. You know, I, I like to take different theories and put them all into a nice simple package that people can understand. But I also, in my research, realized that there's really more to this story than the Mayan calendar. In fact, I think the Mayan calendar and the mythology behind it is probably very inconsequential compared oh, really? to the realistic challenges. And the second half of my book focuses on the things that we really need to be focusing on, the stuff that is right in front of our faces and that is going to be in front of our faces within the next three years. The, uh, the, the fact that you uh, titled your book 2013, right. uh, in other words, what do we do after 2012? Right. Uh, is to me uh, is uh, is uh, an indication <laughs> that um, you're not necessarily buying into the uh, you know the, the the doomsday scenario that the all. world will end December twenty second. Not at all. Not at all. I don't buy into it. I understand that there are a lot of prophecies. There's a lot of interpretation over the years that's been attached onto this very basic mythology. A lot of it's come from Western religious traditions. 
The problem I have with all of this is that I'm getting emails from people who are terrified. I got an email from a woman with three small children who said she's afraid. She doesn't know what to do. I think it's incredibly irresponsible that we have people who are out there spreading the doom and gloom element when there's absolutely no proof of it. There's no uh, direct indication that that's what the Mayan civilization was trying to tell us was going to happen just because they simply ended one of their many calendars on a particular date. We end our calendars on December 31st, you know, and then we cycle back. I, I, they may have been doing the same thing. True enough. True enough. Yeah, I, you know, and I'm not going to discount all the different theories. There may be really traumatic and catastrophic things that happen in 2012, but they're going to happen in 2011. They're going to happen in 2015. And if we keep living the way we are, well, yeah, you know, eventually the world may come to an end, but it'll be at our hands and not the hands of the Mayans. Marie Jones is uh, with us. A 2013 end of days or a new beginning, envisioning the world after the events of 2012. And I, I should point out that uh, Marie was on the program just a few short weeks ago, and uh, that was um, uh, for her new release, The Resonance Key, exploring the links between vibration, consciousness, and the zero-point grid. Uh, you, you mentioned the, the, there's a, an element of irresponsible, irresponsibility out there, and, and, um, and certainly in the media, we, we tend to propagate that. Oh, of course. But, well, I think it's more in the entertainment industry. I mean, this movie that's coming out is yes. absolutely ridiculous. You have been warned, I think, is one of the oh, log lines. Oh, my God. It, you know, it's like they, they just sat down and wrote out every possible catastrophe they could think of and threw it all into one movie. And through it all, you've got adorable John Cusack, who's, who's trying to look terrified, but you just don't quite buy it. I don't know what's going to happen for sure. But what I did, yeah, I was in politics for a long time. I'm a journalist major from college and high school. I was the editor of my newspaper. I know that you have to follow everything to the source. You have to follow everything to an origin point. And everything that I looked at indicated that all of the stuff that we're talking about is interpretation that was added on to a very, uh, well, a, a cosmology and a mythology that really we didn't have a whole lot in, of written word to go by. Everything that was written about the Mayan mythology and their creation stories came later. It didn't come directly from their civilization. So we're, we're sort of reading interpretation upon interpretation. If you just look at the Mayan calendar or the Aztec calendar, which is very similar, and you look at the glyphs that are on there and the designs and the pictures, whatever, what have you, there is nothing on there that jumps out and says you're all going to die on this particular date. What happened is you have people, whether they're archaeologists, historians, um, Mayan experts, professors, you name it, researchers, interpreting the, sim the symbology, interpreting the um, signs that are on the calendar and what they might have meant, and interpreting their number system and what that might have indicated. It's all interpretation. I challenge anybody to show me absolute proof on that calendar that it says the world is going to end. The Mayans, were, they believed in cycles. They believed that nature operated in cycles. They knew about the procession of the equinox. They understood everything had a beginning and an ending, but then it began again. And I, I 
want to point to an article that came out in the news, the Associated Press, a couple of weeks ago. A group of Mayan elders were speaking out because they felt that people were being irresponsible and spreading fear and anxiety when they themselves were saying, you know, that these doomsday theories are from Western traditions. They're not from. They're not Mayan ideas. They they actually broke a, a very long silence. Uh, I think it was some thirty years um, since they had actually ever. Uh, the Mayan Council uh, talked openly about the the Mayan prophecies or the calendar, and uh, yes, as you say, they are really trying to dis- uh, discount a lot of the doom and gloom. Now, uh, we're going to take a break here, but when when, when we come back, I, I want to ask you a little bit more about uh, what you see as some of these Western traditions being perhaps grafted on uh, to the whole Mayan prophecy that may be responsible for this uh, doom and gloom, and I'm guessing perhaps you're talking about... Uh, uh, the book of Revelations, but uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll pick that up on the other side. Marie Jones is uh, here uh, speaking about 2012, and we'll open up the phone lines and uh, invite your participation, which is always, always uh, welcome and necessary to conduct a program such as this. What do you think 2012 means? Are you making preparations? Are you locking in for a five-year mortgage, perhaps? Feeling quite cocky and sure about uh, how things might play out? 416 360 740 toll free from just about anywhere. Big Brother is listening, and so are you. To The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Trying to separate the wheat from the chaff here regarding 2012 tonight on the program. Thomas Rosetto, researcher, essayist, will be along a little later talk to talk about the... Uh, the astronomy and astrology uh, surrounding uh, 2012. And again, some people see uh, December 22nd, 2012, the winter solstice, as being nothing more than a um, some sort of a galactic alignment. Uh, others, however, see some tremendous uh, upheaval coming our way, some cataclysm. Uh, and we'll uh, probably go down the list of uh, some of those theories with uh, Marie Jones here momentarily. She, the author of 2013 End of Days or A New Beginning, Envisioning the World After the Events of 2012. Uh, does the Bible actually say anything about uh, uh, that, that might coincide with Mayan calendar or 2012? Not at all. In fact, if you recall seven years, well, not seven, wow, nine years ago <laughs> on Y2K, um, a lot of fundamentalists were expecting at the second millennium that that was going to be the return of Christ and the apocalypse that was predicted in the book of Revelation. It didn't happen. There's nothing in the Bible that speaks of 2012. In fact, a lot of biblical scholars believe that those events uh, spoken of in Revelation came to pass in A.D. 70. So now here's the when question. When the Romans destroyed the, uh, the Third exactly. Temple. Exactly. Right. You know, there's no dates. Now, here's something that's interesting, though. There are more Muslims in this world than Mayans. The Muslim calendar doesn't end till sometime, I think, 2075 or 2076. 
There are more Jewish people in this world than there are Mayans. Their calendar doesn't end until 2240 A.D. I'm not quite sure why so much. Well, I, I, I do know why. It's because it's coming. It seems like whenever we approach a date, whether it belongs to a tiny little civilization or a big one, everybody jumps on this bandwagon, just like they did at Y2K. But there have been so many fallen predictions of the end of the world over the last 100 years and even beyond. In the first millennium, the world was supposed to end, and it didn't. So I, I just, you know, I want people to understand that what they're listening to is interpretation. Uh, the Western idea of apocalypse comes directly from the New Testament, and also a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament as well. But again, if you read that, there's no date, there's no indicator of when this is going to happen. The same thing is being done with Nostradamus's quatrains. People are desperately trying to find a connection with 2012, and there is none. I, I think he affixed a date uh, to the end of the world, and it's something... 3,000 3, and something, yeah. yeah. And Edgar Casey, same thing. So what you have is you have people trying to fit their evidence to a theory, and it's not quite working. I feel like it's a little bit insulting to the Mayan people because, you know, this is their this is their culture. These are their beliefs. Can you give us a sense of the the uh, the remarkable precision of that of that calendar? What they would have had to have known in order to hmm. construct something like that? It's quite remarkable. Well, it is, and they knew a lot about uh, astronomical events that would occur you know, thousands of years later, but. Well, what we they knew about so, uh, solar eclipses that were going to occur. They knew about the galactic alignment, which is the winter solstice sun will pass through the midpoint, the equatorial midpoint of the Milky Way. And this has happened before. Uh, this won't be the first time that happens, and the Earth has survived. But ancient Egyptians, Sumerians, Babylonians, Romans, they all had an amazing knowledge of astronomy. So it wasn't just the Mayans. It was all of these ancient, you know, we don't know where that knowledge came from. I mean, that's up for grabs, too. But yes, they did have this amazing, uh, very intricate understanding of the, the 26,000-year procession of the equinox. And you have to ask yourself, well, they didn't have a Hubble telescope, and they didn't have computers. So how did they know this stuff? I mean, either they were very, very tuned in to what was going on around them, or they had a little help from... Uh, higher sources, as some people may, you know, believe that there may have been a little bit of extraterrestrial assistance. Uh, but again, just because they're predicting astronomical events doesn't mean that we have to take their mythology literally. We don't take Roman mythology literally. We don't take Greek mythology literally. We don't take Nordic mythology literally. Why on earth would we do this and work ourselves into a frenzy over a mythology? There are uh, a number of um, issues out there. Uh, whether or not they coincide with 2012 um, is another matter. Uh, I, I don't happen to believe that they will, but we still have, for example, um, warnings of solar storms. Uh, we're supposed to be, we're, we're now in the midst of the solar minimum where sunspots have all but vanished. It's sort of the, the, uh, the quiet before the storm. And a few years, I recall, uh, um, I think it was NASA issuing 
um, an announcement that a storm is coming, and there's, there's, they were saying at that time that it was going to be the most intense solar maximum in 50 years. Now, keeping in mind, we probably didn't notice the effects of a solar storm 50 years ago. Well, although we didn't have the technology that could be destroyed that we have now. We, exactly. We didn't have uh, cell phones. Right. Um, but, I mean, at that time, keep in mind, 50 years ago, the solar storm activity was such that the northern lights were spotted in Mexico. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, what about the solar storm? If, if, we're, uh, if we're nearing, uh, you know, uh, that, that, that time, uh, given the, you know, the, the complex uh, communication and navigational grid that we have, I don't know what that might portend. Planes falling out of the sky, a, you know, a, a, a huge um, energy grids all over North America and the world failing, perhaps. I mean, we could be uh, put into darkness uh, for a very long time, perhaps. If that happens, I do recall a few months ago, though, um, I don't know if they were astrophysicists or, or astronomers or what, but they they talked about how the sunspot cycle is expected to be less, less violent than they had originally envisioned. There will be things that happen. Um, we might get hit by an asteroid. Nobody can predict that. Those things come fast, and the trajectories can change at the last second. Just a few weeks ago, we had a very close call. There may be sunspot activity. We may have a, a super, well, I wouldn't say a super volcanic eruption. I think we'd know when one of those was coming. There may be great mega quakes. There's going to be things that happen. Are they going to destroy the world? No, not at all. Will they break down technology for a while? Sure, they might. And maybe to us that will be an end of the world as we know it. it. It may cripple us for a while, but it's certainly not the Armageddon that, you know, this movie or that a lot of people who are latching on to the Western concept are talking about. You know, my dad's a geophysicist, and we talk a lot about the, the um, pole shifts and all these things, and, you know, he's not worried. <laughs> and he's a brilliant scientist, and he works with and knows a lot of brilliant scientists. And my feeling is if that if something like that truly is coming, every scientist would be heading towards the hills, and you know I would be following my dad. I will uh, ask you about geomagnetic uh, reversals when we come back. Just again remembering a log line from 2012: How do you prepare six and a half billion people for the end of the world? You don't. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. And I will get your uh, feedback, your comments on uh, 2012. What do you make of this? Is this just, uh, a lot of hype? Or are you frightened by this prospect? Uh, scared uh, that uh, there may be some major upheaval uh, that will coincide with uh, the winter solstice of 2012? Now, what is the actual uh, the actual date? We hear December twenty first. I've heard December twenty third, twenty twelve. Uh, what's the actual date? August eleventh, or, or no, October eleventh. Uh, Carl John Kalamans is a year before. That's another thing. If we can't agree on the actual end date, I'm not going to worry too much. And again, this is a problem with trying to interpret the Mayan calendar in accordance with our Gregorian calendar. That's been another big issue is that, uh, you know, they don't match up correctly. So there's been a lot of give and take and push and pull trying to get the dates and the time frames to match up. 
I, the December 21st is the most popular because it is a winter solstice. So it obviously has great symbolism, you know, in terms of ancient and pagan cultures. The winter solstice was a time of renewal. It was a time, it symbolized the end of the sun and the beginning of darkness. But again, it was just the end of one cycle and the beginning of another, the end of fall and the beginning of winter. You mentioned uh, your, your father, who's a geophysicist, Dr. John mm-hmm. Savino, and, and right. the two of you collaborated on uh, Supervolcano, the catastrophic, catastrophic event that changed the course of human history, right. which is a wonderful read, and we talked about mm-hmm. that at some length uh, um, in the not-too-distant past. But your, your father is not worried, but as a geophysicist, what is his... his uh, I guess you've talked to him at length about uh, these theories of a geomagnetic reversal, and again, this is something that we're supposed to be overdue uh, for a geomagnetic reversal, somewhat, some, some, sometimes called um, a shifting magnetic pole alignment or a, sh- a pole reversal. Actually, there's two different things. There's a geomagnetic reversal and there's polar shift. One of them is, is bad. The other one is really bad. Uh, the geomagnetic reversal is simply the magnetic field of the Earth will shift. Uh, the compasses would point towards Antarctica rather than northern Canada. It's a shift of the magnetic pole itself. It's not a flip-flop of the Earth. The polar shift is a flip-flop, okay? Right. South Pole, that's the one that we would no longer be here. I believe that the last one occurred, oh God, maybe 800,000 years ago. And they occurred many times in, in, in the, you know, the geologic calendar, you could say, every few million years. I don't think that we're, I've never heard that we were overdue. It, a lot of people are trying to associate the solar cycle, the 11-year sunspot activity cycle with this type of activity, but these things don't happen enough. We have all these 11-year solar cycles often. We do not have geomagnetic shifts. We do not have polar shifts happening very often. It's not something that we should be worried about right now. Again, if those things were happening, we would hear about it. We would begin to feel some of the effects. I think, you know, people will mention Planet X, Nibiru, this alleged planet that is supposed to do either a flyby or a smackdown with Earth in 2012. Something like that could trigger a polar shift. I mean, obviously it could knock us completely out of orbit even. But again, if there's a planet out there that is anywhere near coming into the actual solar system and the orbit of Earth, we would know about it. We would have proof. We'd have astronomers all over the place, you know, with pictures and images making predictions. But we don't. We have just a handful of people that are taking a mythology, a Sumerian myth in this case, and trying to apply it to 2012. If uh, again, I go back to the the uh, the, mm. the log line or one of the uh, the taglines from this new 2012 movie, and that is, how do you prepare six and a half billion people for the, you know, the the big one, the end of the world? And and uh, the answer is, you don't, because obviously, if there's nothing you can do about it, the panic that would ensue, et cetera, et cetera. What about the possibility that 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 that, that somebody with a telescope knows that that there is a, an asteroid, a killer asteroid headed our way, and there's at this point nothing we can do about it. I think, you'd, you know, I don't think secrets can be kept when there are how many billions of people on the planet now. I think at some point we would hear about it. 
I think at some point enough scientists would step up and say, we're not going to keep this secret. The thing is, it, let's say there is a magnetic field reversal coming or even the weakening of the magnetic field if there is a lot of sunspot activity. Yeah, it could cause a lot of problems. Our satellites would go down, communication, military satellites would go down. Uh, there'd be no GPS. There'd be, uh, you know, airplanes would have to be grounded. There'd be a lot of chaos. But to say that something like that is what the Mayan were talking about and that it's going to destroy the world, uh, that's irresponsible. Would it be a problem? Yes. If something like that were going to happen. I think that there would be people right now making plans to protect people from it. And I have not heard anything. And I, again, I, I like a good conspiracy just like anybody else, but I don't think a secret this big could be kept. I really don't. I think that there would be enough people who would be worried about their own families that they would tell their families and they would tell their friends and something like that would get out. The um, true or false, the, according to the Mayan uh, calendar or the Mayan prophecy, th this period that we're living in now as we near the end of the long count calendar is, is um, referred to as a time of trial. Is that true or is, is that, again, another one of these uh, legends? You know, it is. And what's interesting is it's also paralleled in Hindu mythology and the world ages and also a lot of Native American cultures. The Hopi, the thing. yes. We are definitely in a period of trial, we're definitely accelerating towards some great change or great shift. In my opinion, based upon everything that I read and researched, that shift is going to come in a little bit of a different way than the gloom and doom. I think it's going to be a, a technological shift. I think it's going to be possibly a shift in consciousness because we our brains are literally being bombarded with more and more information to process. At some point, our brain has to expand in its capability to be able to process that information. Technology is exponentially increasing in, in the ability to process faster and faster. I'm sure you've heard about the point of singularity that yes. we might be approaching. Now, yes. those are the things that I think people need to be taking a little more seriously. The idea of novelty theory, that we're approaching a time when novelty occurs quicker and quicker and complexity is increasing, and it's doing so. It's snowballing. Those are the kind of things that I'm a little bit worried about. I'm not worried so much about a uh, multiple supervolcanic eruption followed by an asteroid impact. I'm more worried about the things that we're already feeling and seeing right in front of our faces. And that's not even to bring up all of the human things that are going on, poverty and geopolitical shifts and, uh, you know, food inflation. Now we've got re-emerging diseases and new diseases and all this other craziness that's going on. So it, did the Mayans have some sort of understanding that as we enter this galactic day and, and this galactic alignment takes place, is there something, you know, the old uh, Gnostic saying, as above, so below, right. is there something going on in, in, in the universe on this particular day that is going to affect this monumental um, evolution in, in human consciousness? Yeah, I mean, other than the galactic alignment, which again has happened before in the history of the Earth and has not destroyed the planet or, or altered it terribly in any way. 
um, I think to them it was more symbolic. They, they very much believed that what happened in the sky was symbolic of the cycles and the processes that people went through on the ground, including nature. Because, again, we're talking about civilizations that were very much in touch with the natural world around them. And one thing that I do know that most ancient civilizations believed in, as well as every major religion, is that is that everything comes to an end, but not an end in the sense that it's, it doesn't exist anymore. An end of the world as we know it. I, I keep thinking of that R.E.M. song. Yes. Just because things end as we know it doesn't mean we're not going to be here. But we may very well in three years really have to get used to a whole different kind of world. It may look very different. So, and a lot of that, again, I think, is going to because, be because of technology. You're not, you're not discounting, then, Marie, that we could be in for... I mean, change uh, is, um, often comes about uh, is, uh, like giving birth. It's very painful. Absolutely. So you're not and, discounting the fact that we could be in for a very, very difficult time, uh, you know, post-2012. I think people feel that. I just don't believe that the gloom and doom, the, you know, super ultra-catastrophic stuff, I think that that's a cop-out, and I'll tell you why. It seems like every time we get into one of these periods of resistance, which always comes before great change, we always have these mythologies about the end of the world and apocalypse and Armageddon. To me, it's a cop-out. To me, it's saying that we're not resilient and strong and intelligent enough to get through these changes. So, Something's going to happen, some outside influence that's going to just, you know, get rid of us all. And what's interesting is every single uh, religion and mythology believes that their people will be the only ones spared when that happens. Now, that's interesting, Mm -hmm. too. Who's right and who's wrong? But absolutely, people tell me all the time that they feel like there's an acceleration and uh, a quickening. I love that word, that something is happening. And what I say is... Look at your own individual life. Do you feel more scattered? Do you feel like you're paying attention? Do you feel connected? People are isolated. They're losing connection. There's way too much coming at them. Technology is all around. Nobody, um, nobody goes inward or spends any time in nature anymore. I think that we're being pushed into a corner. And obviously, we're either going to have to come out fighting from that corner or you know, we're going we're gonna to fall to our knees. I think that's what's happening. So if we're at the, almost at the end of the fifth and final 5,125-year cycle, and how many are there, 25 cycles uh, in the Mayan calendar? Uh, or sorry, uh, five, five cycles. Right. So 25,000 years, uh, 25,600 and something years right. divided into five cycles. So did the Mayans then... Um, have knowledge of prior civilizations uh, that that rose and fell in in a similar fashion that uh, didn't didn't well maybe they did collapse in 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 a manner but did they were they able to to witness that do you think and and so they 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 came to realize that 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 human uh, evolution uh, in terms of technology and consciousness and all of these things it has a a finite lifespan well, I mean, you know, every great civilization has fallen, and, and we've got the mythology of Atlantis to remind us to what happens when technology takes over. Um, they probably got a lot of that information from their own lives. The Mayans were conquered by the Spaniards, by the conquistadores. They knew 
what it was like to have their own civilization fall. I think that, again, it was in their stories and in their mythology, it was symbolic of probably what they saw happening to civilizations similar to them themselves uh, as, as people were being conquered by European nations. could have very well been something they were actually going through at the time. I'm not real sure about their history before that or what they were aware of. I just know that every civilization understood cycles. Every uh, Native American civilization or culture, I think that if you pay attention, look at the human life. We go through cycles. If you pay attention to nature, there's birth, death, and rebirth. If you look up in the sky, you'll see a constellation, and then it won't be there, but then it comes back around again. Everything is cyclical. So if that great period, that 25,000-year period, comes to an end, chances are they knew that it was just going to begin again, and it would be a whole other cycle. Any special plans for December 22nd, 2012? Um, well, December 22nd, well, December 21st, I've been invited to all kinds of really cool parties. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I will be um, watching with amusement, I guess you can say. I, you know, again, there's so many challenges that we are facing. Things are going to get worse before they get better, but that's how it is when great change is coming. And if that's what all of these civilizations are predicting, it actually could be that we come out in 2013 in a much better place, in a much better world, as much better people. And I think that's something to look forward to. Here's what my friend Jim Morris says about my guest, Marie Jones. Marie Jones has joined the list of forward-thinking individuals who are taking us to the next level in both science and our understanding of the universe and our place in it. Marie, thank you so much for participating in our 2012 program. Well, thank you, and I hope I talk to you again soon. Absolutely. What are you working on, by the way? I am finishing up a book called The Deja Vu Enigma, A Journey Through the Anomalies of Mind, Memory, and Time. Mar it's uh, all about the power of the human mind. And again, that's something that I hope uh, your 2012 guests will talk about. I think that the mind is going to play an integral role in what happens in the next few years. Marie, déjà vu is one of my favorite subjects, so I, I, I look forward uh, greatly to that conversation. You will with you. be one of the first to get a copy. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> Marie Jones. Thank is, you, Richard. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Marie Jones, the author of 2013 End of Days or a New Beginning, Envisioning the World After the Events of 2012. So after you go out and see the movie 2012 and are scared, witless, go out and buy the book and, and read it. It's almost the antidote to that, uh, that movie. But we'll continue to delve into 2012. The True Astrology of 2012 with essayist and researcher Tom Rosetto. Stay with us. The truth is not out there, it's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Next week on the program, the arguably the world's most notable UFO disclosure advocate, Stephen G. Bassett, will be on the program for a portion of the program. 
Uh, he's just completed a, um, a whirlwind tour of uh, Europe. And um, this is an individual, really the driving force behind a lot of these exopolitical groups. Uh, Victor Vigiani, who's uh, on this program a great deal, uh, is, uh, for example, the media director with Exopolitics Canada. And there are a number, uh, a growing number of these, these groups in, in countries around the world that are trying to uh, uh, persuade uh, uh, governments to release uh, files about what they know about, uh, about UFOs and ETs and also to raise uh, public awareness. And uh, uh, so anyway, Stephen will be on the program. And uh, I should also uh, draw to your attention that on the 22nd, the 22nd of November, that's uh, just a few weeks away, I will be uh, presenting, along with Victor Vigiani and Mike Bird from Exopolitics Canada, a, a new film by James Fox. And uh, I think what I will do is uh, if you'd like to attend, uh, this is a, uh, an incredible documentary called I Know What I Saw. And uh, I think the best thing to do is direct you to my website. And if you click on, uh, if you go to richardserrett.com, and uh, it's about the second story down on the homepage, you'll, uh, you'll be able to click on a, uh, a press release and get all the details uh, what time this documentary uh, airs and uh, directions on how to get to the event, which is uh, in Toronto in the uh, the uh, the Young and St. Clair area. Uh, it's uh, LaSalle Oakland's auditorium on Farnham Avenue. Farnham Avenue. Uh, that's just below St. Clair. And uh, I believe the door is open at 1230. The screening begins at 1 o'clock, and its uh, admission is about $5 at the door. But uh, it's in a remarkable... Uh, a documentary by James Fox, uh, who's responsible for, of course, Out of the Blue. This one is called I Know What I Saw. And if you're sort of on the fence about the whole UFO um, uh, phenomenon, not sure what to make of it, I, I really urge you to, uh, to, to get out to the documentary and, uh, and see it. Uh, I believe this aired briefly on a, on a couple of channels, perhaps the History Channel, but it, it has not been widely uh, distributed. Uh, and uh, this would be a, r a very rare opportunity to see it up on the big screen. But this would, um, this would, uh, I think, knock your socks off if you if um, if you if you saw it for yourself. I know what I saw on November twenty second. That's Sunday, uh, one p.m. at the LaSalle Oakland's uh, Auditorium on Farnham Avenue. Again, go to richardserrett.com on the homepage. Just scroll down, and you'll see the announcement. Click on that, and it gives you everything you need to know, even a map uh, to the location. All right. We're going to continue along uh, in our discussion on 2012. And before we get to our next guest, who's patiently waiting on the line, let me grab uh, uh, some calls here because I want to get some feedback and, and what you think about 2012. And uh, let's uh, pick it up with Rachel, who's calling from Guelph, Ontario. Hello, Rachel. Hello, Mr. Sir. How are you, Stephen? I'm well, thank you. Okay, good. Listen, first of all, my first point I want to make is that what people seem to forget, religion is man-made. And man tends to use any issue for power and control by using fear. And so when you look at the other side, too, that the Mayans felt that they were going to have a savior come, it turned out to be a conqueror. And their can their can um, calendar may have been interrupted then just due to the fact of 
the situations that were and circumstances that were taking place at that time then. Uh, that's an interesting perspective. When you, you say religion is man-made, uh, that, that's true to a certain point. It I is. Mean, Spirituality uh, is, comes yes. from yourself. Well, religion no, that, is man-made. Well, I, I mean, we would have to, to, differ, to differ there. I mean, spiritual, I don't believe spirituality comes from the self. Within I, ourself, I, I do. I, yes, well, that's, that's, um, you're certainly um, you know, free to make that, uh, that point on the program. Uh, we would differ there, but I don't think that necessarily detracts from what you were saying earlier. Uh, certainly, the, some of the trappings of, of uh, religion uh, are man-made and, and uh, have been manipulated uh, for political uh, interests and, and uh, as you say, uh, some of the more baser instincts of, of humankind. To use, and to use fear, it's, it, it's the perfect conduit in which to, to put people into fear, is to use their religion and, and to try to interpret their religion in a way that puts fear into them without basing it on, you know, the fact that a lot of people don't have the historical knowledge to back up some of the things that they're afraid of. Certain uh, certain religions have been co-opted by what I would would describe as a, uh, as, a as an elite a group of individuals yes. who are using certain aspects of certain religions to perpetrate fear. Um, and they're uh, certainly working on dumbing down society. Absolutely, yes. No argument there, Rachel. Thank you for the call. I hope you'll call again. Uh, Pauline is in Toronto. Uh, Pauline, this 2012 business is a lot of um, uh, hype. Are you, we get a b- bit of feedback there. It sounds like you're... <laughs> Hello. Hi. Are you, are you like standing in an echo you. chamber? <laughs> Hi, Richard. Hi there. I like your, your program's interesting. Thank you. I like it when people think outside the box. <laughs> well, I, I like to think that's what this program is all about. I hope so. Anyway, I'd like to tell you why the Bible doesn't have any deeps. Number one, it's free will. So it is subject to interpretation. If the interpretation is accurate, however, it becomes history. If it's inaccurate, it becomes so much blather. Right, right. Okay? The seizure of the American embassy is in the scriptures. President Carter would know about that. But you're you talking wouldn't. about the, the Bible codes you're talking about. Pardon? You're talking about the Bible codes? I'm just saying that it's very clearly uh, the, uh, the seizure of the American embassy in Iran that occurred in 1979 yes. is in Jeremiah 8, verses 19 and 20. Oh, can you, uh, can you paraphrase for us? Yes, it tells you, Hear the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people because of them that dwell in a far country. And that became effective in April 1980. But President Carter didn't listen. So again, another message was sent from the same woman and in the fall. And the next verse says, the summer is over, the harvest is past, and still we are not saved. And then in December, when pres- in October, when President Carter was campaigning for re-election, again, he was told to make that he still had an opportunity to correct these things, because the reason the embassy was seized in the first place was because the Shah of Iran fled, taking $11 billion that belonged to the people, and they had asked for the return of the Shah and the money, and the United, United States government ignored them. They knew it wasn't safe for them to offer sanctuary to the Shah, so they kept the money. But they found him refuge in Egypt, where he died of cancer. Yes. But the money was never returned. It was never dealt with. 
Understood, Pauline, but I'm not sure how the, uh, the that passage in Jeremiah necessarily applies to that uh, that particular situation when it could apply to many. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to I someone who believes that. in the Bible. I believe in the Bible, but I, I'm not okay. following. Uh, I'm I not, understand that. Yeah. Unless you are connected with the woman, because it says here the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people. So the woman was given the message to give to President Carter. Right. So unless you're involved with her, you wouldn't be aware of that until later. It will become significant. Understood. Okay. But Canada is in the Bible, but it is, again, subject to interpretation. It's in Revelation 12. Mm -hmm. And it's not to be panic, because it describes Canada as part of the dragon, which has ten horns. A horn in the Bible is a powerful voice. It is not something terrible, and this is not a great monstrosity. It consists of ten horns and seven heads with crowns. The seven heads with crowns will be present-day religious leaders who want to destroy what the woman is carrying, which is the government of Christ, and the ten horns are the provincial premiers, because the birth of Christ's government will occur in Canada, and what it will do is give the people the opportunity to reclaim half of the power of the federal government according to the Constitution of Canada and many countries in the world, because your Constitution is based on a belief in God and country. At the moment, only the country has representation. When you reclaim half of the power of the federal government, you can set it up to deal with the petitions of the nations in matters of peace and justice, and this will give us control over our political and religious leaders in these two areas, and therefore we will no longer be ordered to kill people we do not know for God or country. Pauline, you're, you're a, a, a fascinating woman. I, I, I hope you'll call again, and I thank you for your, uh, for your thoughts on this. Listen, uh, wow, a lot of information there, and uh, not enough time to follow up on a lot of those threads, but they're certainly worth pursuing, and perhaps we can do it at another time. We're, we're uh, going to continue to talk about 2012 when we come back, as promised. Uh, researcher and essayist Thomas Rosetto will be here to talk about the real astrology of 2012. Hope you'll be along for the ride. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. And for the bulk of the program, we are discussing 2012. And a little later this week, of course, coming to a theater near you, a film that um, promises probably to scare your pants off in terms of what might lie ahead on the winter solstice, December 21st, 2012. Uh, this is a movie starring uh, John Cusack and Amanda Peet and some other uh, notables. And um, the... Uh, the filmmaker's interpretation of 2012 is a rather bleak one, that uh, there is going to be tremendous upheaval, uh, fire in the sky, fire and brimstone, end of the world kind of stuff. And um, our first guest, Marie Jones, I think did a, a nice job of uh, dispelling a lot of the myths surrounding uh, what the Mayans were actually talking about or what they were uh, prophesying. And we're going to continue along in that uh, vein, but uh, we're going to take a, a, a more in-depth look now at sort of the, uh, the astrology and the astronomy because it was in the mid-90s uh, that 
the term galactic alignment sort of first came into to vogue. Um, one of the major 2012 or, or one of the major Mayan uh, researchers is a gentleman by the name of John Major Jenkins. And um, he was one of the first that started talking about uh, this 2012 date, December 21st, 2012, being in line with what he called the galactic alignment. And uh, understanding that in the, in, in the solar system, the planets of the sun share roughly the same plane of orbit, and this is known as the plane of the ecliptic. And from our perspective here on Earth, the, uh, the, the zodiac, the signs of the zodiac, the, the zodiacal constellations, they move along or near this ecliptic, and over time they uh, appear to recede I believe it's in a counterclockwise uh, direction by one degree every 72 years. And this is because of the, 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 there's a slight wobble in the Earth's axis as it spins. So as a result, every 2160 years, the constellation that you see, um, you know, in the early morning of the, of the spring equinox, it changes. And, but keep in mind, this is only in the Western astrological tradition. So this signals the end of one astrological age, which is we're currently in the age of Pisces, the fish, remember, and the beginning of another. And the next one that's coming around is the age of Aquarius. So over the course of this 26,000 years, the precision of the equinoxes makes one full circuit around the ecliptic. Anyway, uh, it, it's, it's kind of involved and, and, and somewhat complicated, but uh, if there's anyone who can sort it out for us, it's uh, our next guest. He is... He's a real thinker and a bit of a renaissance man. And um, he's, um, give me an idea, he's got a Bachelor of uh, Science in Electrical Engineering and Computer Science. And uh, he's, he's got experience in software design and technical support and computer training. Uh, but he's, um, his real per- uh, passion, I guess, and, and, and pursuit uh, is a pursuit of knowledge about life and God and uh, uh, what he calls non-dual uh, thinking, whether you want to uh, affix a, a name to it, whether it's a Buddhist thought or Hindu or Gnostic or mystic or, or New Age or, or whatever name you want to pick. Anyway, that being said, a great pleasure to welcome back to the program uh, researcher and essayist Thomas Rosetto. Hello, Thomas. Hello, Richard. Thanks for having me back. Thank you for being here as we explore 2012. Now, uh, in my uh, very uh, clumsy attempt to try and explain this galactic alignment, I mean, I only scratched the surface. Uh, you, you, uh, I know that you can do a better job, but explain what, what is meant by uh, galactic alignment. If you want to pick it up where I left off or, or uh, correct anything that I, I mentioned there, please do. Well, I think you did a very good job, and what I'd like to do is actually paint a picture what's going to be in the sky over the Maya on that day, in the middle of the day. So... The Maya calendar, the long count calendar, was born in Azapa, Mexico, which is the southernmost tip. And that's the perspective I take. That's the um, point of view I researched from, thinking, well, if this is where the calendar is, let's take a look at what's going on. Now, the calendar restarts on December 21st, 2012. So I said, well, okay, what's going to happen in the sky over the Maya on that day? And here's what we have. We have something that's called the ecliptic that you mentioned. It's the path of the sun and the path of the planets. So on this day at high noon, when you look up into the sky, of course, you're only going to see the sun because the sun is so bright that it's going to obscure the stars 
and the planets that are near it. That makes sense, right? Yes. But if you had a magic button that you could push that would let the stars light up and the planets light up, all of a sudden you would see a tremendous scene. You would see the Milky Way with a dark rift right through it. Now, this is the part of the Milky Way that's near the galactic center. It's an astounding visual image that the Maya would see in the summertime. In other words, the not gala- so the, much in the winter, yes. The galactic center is the, the, the center of the Milky Way. That's true, and the galactic center is actually in the view down towards the bottom. They saw that as the source of all creation. Now, what I'm going to paint a picture of is called the sacred tree or the world tree. And the galactic center is towards the bottom, acting as the source, as the root system. Right. And up from there is the dark rift. The center of the galaxy was seen as the womb, and the dark rift was seen as the birth canal. And it was a very visual thing. And the disk of the sun is in the middle of the dark rift. In other words, it's being reborn on this day. That's one rebirth of the sun, but it's also being reborn that day because of the winter solstice, and the days are going to start getting longer for us. That's the second rebirth. And the third rebirth is the daily sunrise. So you have a combination of these three things that I call the sacred triple rebirth of the sun. Yet it's also in combination with this configuration of the sacred tree, which is going to have four planets across in a horizontal beam. It takes up, oh, a third of the sky. On the left is Mars. Then a little over is Pluto, which is never visible to the naked eye. Then in the middle, almost exactly in the middle, is the sun. And then more to the right is Mercury. And then a little more to the right is Venus. Venus started this whole thing off at about 4.46 in the morning by rising. And it would be a spectacular, it will be a spectacular thing to see. And then it leads the parade of these four planets across the sky. And in the middle of the day... As you know, the path of the sun in the middle of the day is very nearly horizontal. And so you have this horizontal crossbar of light of these four planets with the sun exactly in the middle. And the crossbar of darkness is the dark rift. The dark rift of the Milky Way is about 30 degrees off of vertical. So it's making the sacred tree, taking up a large part of the sky. The sacred tree is over the Maya. Now this underlines two things. One as we were speaking earlier, we had the cycles, the rhythm of nature. Well, the rhythm of nature is what the Maya are pointing to. The rhythm of nature is the rhythm of life. But it also points to the uniqueness of every moment. Because this crossbar of light and crossbar of darkness arising on this day is a totally unique moment. The preciousness of the moment. Yes, they understood the cycles, and it took tremendous precision to set this up. But this is the event, the combination of the sacred tree in the sky and the triple rebirth of the sun is what the galactic alignment is really all about. It's what the Maya calendar is pointing to. I'm, and, not, uh, I'm not detecting any, uh, any uh, fear or negativity, Thomas, in your voice. I'm not hearing anything about uh, Nibiru uh, swinging by uh, in a collision course with the Earth. I'm not hearing anything about uh, a pole shifts or na- uh, some natural cataclysmic event. Uh, it sounds uh, very positive, uh, like a, uh, a wonderful rebirth of the human family or something. Exactly. This is not a psychic prediction, good or bad, regarding the humanity in general, or the Mayan in particular. This is all about the astronomy, but there's a huge wow factor to it. It's, some people might think that my material is going to be a dud. 
because I'm not predicting, not predicting doom and gloom, and I'm not predicting all of a sudden a spiritual renaissance or anything, that I'm pointing simply to astronomy. And some people think that, that I might squeeze the life out of it by simply pointing to astronomy. But I tell you, the more I dug into this, the more mind-blowing it all became. And it's just quite amazing that the precision that's necessary, remember this calendar has been in use for over 2,100 years. If the Maya intentionally pointed specifically to this winter solstice date of 2012, from that far away, they needed to know the length of the year to within 40 seconds. This is like measuring the width of the United States to within 20 feet or the distance from Los Angeles to Tokyo to within 40 feet. Uh, In terms of a percentage, this is 99.9999% correct. This is simply stunning. Well, you were going to say something? Yes, I, this alignment however, uh is I mean has happened before. It's not exclusive to 2012. I mean I mean it takes 36 yes, years. Let me, let me point that out. It, it the sun goes through the dark rift of the Milky Way every year. The winter solstice happens every year. The combination of the two are brought into focus in the years around 2012, there's about a 70-year period where these two events happen fairly near each other. In fact, 12 hours one way or the other. Do you see what I mean? Yes, but I've read accounts where some people claim that a more precise convergence already happened in, in 1998. 1998 is the year where the center of the sun was exactly on top of the galactic equator at the moment in the closest to the moment of the winter solstice. In other words, I have a YouTube video that shows the plane of the galaxy and the galactic equator and, and the uh, axis of the Earth going over the crease that it makes. And that did happen in 1998. But the galactic equator is an imaginary reference line that you cannot see with your eye. But the dark rift is something you see with your eye. And it has a middle which is a little bit different than the galactic equator. The diameter of the sun is about a half of a degree. About a quarter of a degree is the difference between the galactic equator and the middle of the dark rift. They're very close to each other. And this is why the Maya picked 2012 rather than 1998, plus the combination of the sacred tree with that beautiful display of Mars on one side, Venus on the other, the sun in the middle, the dark rift making the crossbar of darkness. The crossbar of darkness and the crossbar of light is a reference to the yin-yang, the duality of our world arising from the source. It's a beautiful metaphor. Thomas Rosetto is uh, with uh, me on the program. He's an essayist and a researcher. His website, www.infinitelymystical.com, and you've got uh, some uh, uh, some uh, free essays that people can download uh, there. Which ones in particular do you want to draw people's attention to? So if they want to uh, read along uh, at home as they're listening to the program, they could do that. Well, um Mystical2012.com is my 24-page essay that starts with the astronomy and goes into my favorite subject of mysticism. Um, but I have many other essays that are shorter, some are medium, and some are longer. And you'll find the links in mystical12.com or infinitelymystical.com. And I'm also going to have a free audio book. I have a one-hour audio book up in the next couple of days. Those will be free downloads. And soon I'll have, uh, if you want to order a CD and have it sent to you, that ability will be also provided. But these downloads will be always free, and they're very high quality. I'm not going to cut the quality of the downloads. Um, they'll still be uh, very good audio. Um, 
John Major Jenkins, I mentioned him earlier, and, and uh, for many, you know, he's... Uh, yes, uh, we've of, exchanged emails, John and I. Yes, because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he argues that the Mayans didn't necessarily have any knowledge of procession, or am I misrepresenting him? Oh, no, I think he does uh, acknowledge the... Uh, the knowledge of the processional cycle, he's the one that shows that they link the processional cycle to the calendar and to their other, um, their other folklore metaphors that are in the, um, the stone monuments in the Zappa. He, uh, the biggest difference with John and I is that uh, I think that um, naked eye astronomy is just not enough to s- establish this calendar. No, which, uh, well, which leads me to my next question, which we'll pick up uh, on the other side, and that is, where do you think they got this knowledge if their, um, their calendar was as precise as uh, you mentioned? I mean, the metaphor, the, 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 the comparison, rather, that you drew was, is quite astounding uh, in terms of um, comparing their calendar to, let's say, drawing a map of the United States and, and with uh, tremendous accuracy. I will pick it up on the other side. Thomas Rosetto talking about the real astrology behind 2012. My name is Richard Serrett. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds. We're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You ate like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. Don't turn off your television sets. Turn them off now. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them off right in the middle of the sentence I'm speaking to you now. Turn them off. Brainwashed in our childhood. Brainwashed by the school. Brainwashed by our teachers. And brainwashed by all the rules. Brainwashed by our leaders. By our kings and queens. Brainwashed in the open and brainwashed behind the scenes. Live from Toronto, Canada. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. At the bottom of the hour, which is 12.30, we'll uh, open uh, things up and uh, you can discuss anything you'd like from 12.30 until uh, 1 a.m. when the program ends for another week. Anything at all, uh, obviously, it's limited to... uh, what we discuss on the program, and that uh, is, of course, conspiracies and uh, political subterfuge, uh, the paranormal, supernatural, metaphysical. Uh, right now, we're discussing uh, 2012. Thomas Rosetto is uh, with us. Infinitelymystical.com is the website, and he has some uh, essays that you can download there for free, and he's also, he'll have an audio book uh, available uh, shortly on uh, some of the things that we're discussing right now. And uh, you're, you're, you're talking about the, the sacred triple rebirth of the sun, which will take place in 2012, which is why the Mayans chose, you say, to, uh, to end the calendar there. It's the, 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 uh, the end of one era and the beginning of another, uh, a rebirthing, uh, if, if you will. But, but what's interesting, uh, as I'm hearing you describe this uh, triple rebirth, is that it's all taking place... Uh, I mean, the, the the first rebirth of the sun is going to happen at 5 in the morning, and uh, uh, yes. about an hour and 20 minutes later at dawn, the sun is going to rise above the yes. ground. And it, so all of these things are happening in daylight. So uh, how 
you know, in the absence of a night sky, how were the Mayans able uh, to, to, for example, um, you know, notice the position of the sun on the galactic equator and all these things that you, you would require a night sky to do? How could they do it in the daylight? Because they mapped the entire circle. They knew the whole zodiac, and they knew the rhythms. So they could see it in the night, and they pre- could predict where the sun would be at any time. So um, that's a very interesting point. You see, in their metaphor, the sun is alive in the day, and at sunset it goes into the underworld and is said to be dead until it is reborn. So they want to have a celebration of the rebirth of the sun, but they want to have this celebration, in my opinion, during the daytime when the sun is alive. They don't want to have the celebration when the sun is, you know, not there. So they wanted to find a time when the triple rebirth of the sun is happening in the sky over them. So you see, if they lived in Paris, they would pick a different day, because the triple rebirth of the sun does not happen in Paris in the sky in 2012. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, yes, I do. So it's but very there's... interesting that they, they wanted it in the sky over them, yet they couldn't see it. The but... most important thing is something they can't see. Now, I think this reflects the metaphorical view that I have. The physical world is important because it's where we live, but it comes from the invisible world. What's most important is what we can't see, and so it is with this. Anyway, you were going to say something. Well, I, I was just going to say, obviously, for, uh, you know, if you, the, um, the rebirth of the sun, the... Uh, you know, the, the sun uh, will, uh, uh, yes, the, 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 I think you know where I'm going with this. The, the, the comparisons, obviously, to the, uh, the Christian uh, narrative and the birth of, of uh, Christ, the Son of God. Um, yes. There's some interesting parallels there. And I, I mean, I, my bias is well known. I happen to be an, an Orthodox Christian. I believe in the Bible. I believe yes. Jesus Christ was who he said he was. But uh, I'm, what is your take on this? Because obviously that, that parallel just jumps out. Um, and, and, uh, and, and some would say that, uh, you know, that there are uh, sun worshipers out there, and sun, S-U-N, not sun, S-O-N, and that these sun worshipers uh, are, of course, the, the ones that are behind, uh, you know, the Illuminati, etc. The, the, the sun worshipers, uh, in, in essence, are satanic. Well, I don't know about that, but I think, I think the Maya were probably looking at the sun from a very natural point of view, where if the sun didn't exist, we would not be here. Now, you could say the same is true for air or land or okay. water, but they use the sun as the metaphor, and when it rises, it brings us the light and heat we all need to stay alive. And then in the year rebirth, the solstice rebirth, it again starts to become stronger again and brings us the warmer seasons and all that to bring us spring, etc. So I think what they were doing is just looking at the night sky and making stories, and um, over 2,000 years ago, they were noticing that the, uh, the dark rift, that the sun would go through the dark rift, and then uh, about a month or so later, um, the winter would start, and they just asked the question, I wonder when the sun will go through the dark rift on the same day that winter starts? And that was the underlying question of why they set up the, the long count calendar. All right, let's uh, take some calls. Thomas, are you good for that? Sure. Excellent. Let me make one quick point. Yeah. The rhythms of nature are the rhythms of life, and this is all pointing to the wonder and awe about the mystery of life. And uh, I think that's really the, the fundamental um, metaphor that they have of transformation and rebirth 
is operating outside the boundaries of any particular rigid time structure. Anyway, go on. Oh, I, I, before I go to the calls, I, I wanted I was I was trying to to to, to again find those parallels between. Uh, the rebirth of the sun on the winter solstice, and of course the story of uh, sort of the, the, the narrative of Jesus Christ, and and, and, and I've just remembered it. Uh, it seems to me that when the winter solstice occurs on December twenty first, the sun's uh, path uh, is a little higher in in the southern sky. After it's been it's remained motionless in the sky for three days, so there you have the sense of course Jesus being in the tomb for three days, and then the rebirth. Of Jesus, I didn't explain that very well, but th- that's what I was going for. That I just yeah, find not, that that not parallel the height in the sky, but the the position of the sunrise on the horizon. Okay, it moves around the horizon, but it's motionless. And, for then, th- and then around the solstice, yeah, it sits still for a couple of days, and then it moves back up. Well, for three days, which again just jumps out at me is you know the, that parallel is is very interesting. Uh, to the phones we go, and uh, Arthur is in Toronto. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show in AM seven forty. Hi, Arthur. Should I ask how you are? Go right ahead. <laughs> how are you? I'm I'm just top drawer, my friend. That's Thank good. you. <laughs> anyway, this is such a big subject, but to be brief, I mean, it's too bad you don't have more time. You and I don't have more time to find out what the Bible really teaches. We must look into it, investigate, because Adam and Eve were meant to be young and happy forever on a paradise earth. God, that was God's purpose. He still will accomplish that. He didn't create the earth to be destroyed thousands of years later. All right, so you're trying to bring this around to 2012, and obviously you don't believe it's going to be some natural cataclysmic event, but uh, nor, it sounds, do you believe... Well, the Bible does discuss a, a place called Armageddon, a situation called Armageddon. Yes. But God will destroy all the people that he doesn't want to live on earth forever, that disobey him continually. Well, but, the, but, but Arthur, what if 2012 and Armageddon coincide? What if, the, what if the Mayans knew something, perhaps, that we don't? Well, 2012 is not discussed, of course, in the Bible. No, we, we're, we're, we don't know the hour or the day, of yeah, course, according right. to the Bible. But what if, for, I don't know, some reason that the Mayans did? I guess, uh, I mean, I think, uh, I, I think uh, my feeling is they don't coincide. I don't think uh, Armageddon in uh, 2012. No, no, it's a two separate thing. No, it's possible that 2012 uh, could be, you know, it could mark the beginning yeah. of the tribulation, uh, perhaps. Who knows? I Arthur, could. I appreciate the call. Thank you. Uh, Ian is in Barrie. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Ian, how are you? Well, I'm doing great. How are you? Well, thanks. I just uh, I stumbled across the show a couple of weeks ago, and I, I think it's great. So, uh, Well, welcome aboard. It. Well, thanks. Um, just up here driving around, driving a cab around. Um, just a couple of points. I, I don't know too much about astrology, um, and uh, definitely, especially as it relates to uh, 2012, I think the movie looks great from, uh, you know, from a movie standpoint. Um you know, and it, and it sort of plays on our fears. Um, I think everybody, um, well, a lot of different cultures, a lot of different religions, have this, uh, you know, finality to uh, to their life. And, the, of course, the biblical Armageddon. Um, but, you know, here's what I'm going to say. I, I'm not an overly intelligent person. But I do know that real truth is always simple. It's It's not usually complicated. And I think that no matter, you know, what we believe, there, in reality, is an ultimate truth. So whether or not I believe in the law of gravity is irrelevant because the law of gravity exists. So I would, I would just say that, you know, a lot of people look for truth, and they don't ask for truth. And, and I find that there's a big difference there. So 
as far as the 2012 was concerned, yeah, I you know I remember Y2K, and I I just remember that the you know um, as far as my circle of influence, the people that I know, there was a little bit of panic. Um, people who depended on the computer systems for their work. Uh, I'm also a musician, so some of the recording technologists they they were worried that their computers would shut down, etc. Uh, and I remember laughing about it afterwards because my gut feeling was no, it's not it's not going to happen that way. So. Admittedly, I am a Christian. I take the, the, the biblical point of view. Um, and you, you had asked the question in your last call, you know, what if, what if Armageddon coincides with 2012? Even if that were true, I would say, you know, I'd still give credit to the Lord above for putting that wisdom into their hearts and their minds way back when. Um, but my feeling is that uh, we're, we're making a lot too much of it. I think that the reality is, is we're going to be celebrating and laughing on the 22nd of December 2012, and uh, a lot of people will be relieved. Ian, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, the 2012 and uh, and Y2K, along with it, will go down in history along with uh, uh, the year 1844, which was known as the Great Disappointment, because uh, there was a, a Baptist preacher back then, uh, part of a, a Christian sect, uh, William Miller, who was uh, predicting, of course, Jesus Christ would return to the uh, the earth in that year, and yeah, uh, right. October 22nd, and it, of course it didn't happen, so it's the, the great disappointment. Uh, yeah. Thank you for the call, Ian. Uh, Tom, we'll, uh, we'll take another time out. When we come back, I want to ask you about um, what you think the source of their knowledge really was, the Mayans, that is. Where did they get this incredible knowledge of the cosmos? Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Hope you'll be with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. And uh, in about 10 minutes or so, we'll uh, open up the phones and uh, you can talk about just about anything that we discuss on the program, something you've heard earlier uh, in weeks past or something you'd like to hear on the show or if you'd like to continue to talk about 2012. We'll um, certainly entertain those calls as well. 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740. And toll-free from just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740, 1-866-740-4740. Where are our American friends tonight? Uh, we are heard from Thunder Bay to the Carolinas and Maine to Minnesota. Now, uh, Thomas, the... Um, you you you, uh, you gave some amazing examples of of how precise the calendar uh, was. You made the comparison if they were drawing a map of the United States, the the precision they had. Can you give us those those examples again? And then I want to get your take on where you think the Mayans got this knowledge. Sure. If they intentionally hit the winter solstice from over two thousand one hundred years ago, they would need to know the length of the year to within forty seconds. And that's like measuring the width of the United States to within 20 feet, or the distance from Los Angeles to Tokyo to within 40 feet. And in terms of a percentage, it's 99.9999% correct. And this, this isn't just remarkable. This is just absolutely stunning. And um, this is only one aspect that they would need to know to set up their calendar. The other would be the processional rhythm. They need to know how much the angle of um, how far away the sun is on the day of the winter solstice. 
2,000 years ago from where it would be in the middle of the uh, dark rift on the day of the winter solstice in 2012. They need to measure that angle very accurately, and the rate, the angle changes every year. And I haven't done any math on that. But just the length of the year is very easy for me to uh, calculate, and that's why I did it. Um, and I expected it to give me a very stunning answer, and it did, 40 seconds. Most scientists would refer to that as plus or minus 20 seconds. And um, it's quite difficult to imagine how they would measure this using naked eye astronomy, although I have on my website an essay that talks about how they could get pretty good accuracy by using 100 years as the amount of time to measure it, and just counting days, not even using a clock just counting the days all the way through those hundred years. And they'd be able to figure out that the length of the year is 365.24, and then they would need to know more to make the calendar. It really is 24.24219. So um, they need a little more accuracy to make the calendar. How did they do it? Well, I think it's important to ask these indigenous cultures where they got their knowledge and not to just lap it off as a metaphor or whatever, although it may be a metaphor, it may be partially a metaphor, but anyway, here it is. They say that they were given their entire culture, including their calendar, from a leader they called Kukul Khan. And he is very tall, and I think some reports say that he had a cone head. What surprised me was you can actually see pictures that archaeologists have found these heads, these cone heads, these now, there are also these babies that had their heads deformed. You've read about, you heard about that, right? They used, uh, they banded their heads uh, in order to Before. elongate the skull. Yeah. Now, the question is, was that just the, was that a fashion trend, or were they trying to emulate perhaps uh, uh, visitors from another civilization yeah. off-world? Exactly. I think it's a, I think they're mimicking their leaders. Um, I don't see how anyone would spontaneously try to do that to their child, especially when some of the children would die. You know, but anyway, um, it's very interesting uh, that these cone heads have been found. It's not totally um, just written knowledge; it is actual artifacts. Um, so it puts a lot on the table. Now, other people say, and there may be some truth to this, that there were previous human cultures, societies that um, you know, uh, Atlantis that sunk very advanced, and maybe some survivors from Atlantis would populate. Mesoamerica, and yet brings some very sophisticated knowledge, although their daily life is fairly low-tech. That could happen. Uh, Kukul Khan, um, does he not have some connection to uh, Egypt as yes. well? Um, if you like the work of Zachariah Sitchin, which I do find interesting, I don't take all of it, um, I take some of it metaphorically, but um, I do like Sitchin's work, and I think that it's important. He puts forth in a book called The Lost Realms. He goes into how Toth, the Egyptian god Toth, was fighting with his brother, and their father said to Toth, hit the road. And Toth grabbed a whole bunch of people from Africa, these would be the Ethiopians, and went to Mesoamerica and immediately got, their go got them going with their corn and their calendar and everything else. And so Kukul Khan is Toth. And he's also uh, Quetzalcoatl, same person, not a reincarnation or a son or any of that, supposedly to the, um, 
the Sumerian tablets are reporting this. And 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 Quetzalcoatl and and Kukul and Kukul Khan are also depicted um, in 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 Mayan um, relief sculptures, etc., as being some sort of a winged god, a feather serpent. So are we then to conclude that the Toth and uh, Kukul Khan and Quetzalcoatl were what Sitchin referred to as the Anunnaki? Yes, and and it's very interesting because the Anunnaki would would wear ornaments of wings to uh, depict that they could fly in their spaceships. They didn't flap their wings and fly like birds. So the fact that they were depicted as a feathered serpent didn't necessarily mean that those feathers were in their, uh, integrated into their being. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yes. Um, so then you're convinced, are you, that, that uh, this is how they, they, they received, the Mayans, that is, received their, their knowledge of the cosmos from, uh, from ETs? I consider it a very reasonable theory, and it would be good to get more information. I wouldn't say that I convinced, and I certainly don't have a case that I could put in front of people. However, there's one more piece of evidence that I do find interesting, and that is a clay sculpture um, of an elephant. And uh, these can be found in Mesoamerica, and these were produced by the people in Mesoamerica at times when they had no elephants to use as a model. So how did they know what elephants looked like? And... Um, so here are these elephants, and uh, Sitchin has pointed these out, and you can see pictures on my website and also on Sitchin's website. Infinitelymystical.com, the website. Uh, let's yes. go to the phones, and Dave is in Hamilton. Dave, welcome to The Conspiracy Show, AM740. Hi, Richard. Hi. Yeah, I just wanted to comment on uh, my opinion on the uh, 2012 uh, thing. Is um, Based on my experience where I had a near-death experience, and both my mother and sister got a premonition that night they were going to get a call that I had died the next day. Oh. I believe, uh, according to Greg Braden's work in the Isaiah Effect, that uh, we could have an apocalyptic end or, um, or utopia. And as well as Michael Cremo says that civilization has advanced several times and we keep uh, destroying ourselves and having to go back over and, and start again, I think the reason uh, with the Y2K thing is that it wasn't a catastrophe is because we did something about it. If we just sat back and said, oh, nothing's going to happen, uh, it would have been a catastrophe. And I think that'll be the same with 2012. If we just sit back and let it happen, we'll end up destroying ourselves. But if we connect together uh, through global consciousness and possibly even uh, channeled and amplified through the pyramids. It'll be like looping a bunch of computers together where we'll uh, amplify the uh, signal and we'll probably uh, maybe go to a different type of life form. That's why uh, the history, the date, the calendar won't have any meaning after that. Dave, those are some excellent points, and that's a very fresh perspective. I hadn't thought of that, particularly in terms of of Y2K. Maybe it would have been a catastrophe had we... uh, not done something about it, and um, the same may hold true for 2012. Tom, what what sort of uh, uh, evolution in, in human consciousness, if any, do you foresee in 2012, or is this simply an interesting galactic alignment that uh, uh, astronomers and astrologers can sort of delight in, but beyond that, uh, nothing much else is going to matter, or change, rather? Well, you know, I see it like this. If I write a poem about enlightenment and spiritual awakening, and I use the sunrise as a motif, since that's the time when our world is infused with light and we're all awakened from our physical slumber, 
The poem should be taken as a reminder that spiritual awakening is possible at any moment. It certainly should not be understood to say that we are going to become enlightened during the next sunrise. Oh, oh, that might happen. And the same is true for the triple rebirth of the sun. Again, I think it's a timeless metaphor about transformation and rebirth, and I think it's operating outside the boundaries of any particular rigid time structure. Uh, So do you um, uh, discount then uh, entirely the the possibility that uh, some natural cataclysmic event, maybe not um, world-destroying, but something that's going to force us into reevaluating or to, to reassessing our place in the universe, whether it's a, a solar storm that uh, destroys our, our energy and communication grid and, and, mm-hmm. and leaves us, you know, yeah. leads us back into some sort of agrarian society yeah. or something like that? Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't see that as a very likely scenario, and I don't think that the Maya talk about any of these types of things. Now, let's be clear. We as humans have a ton of problems facing us right now. I mean, there's no question about that. And we can all tune in to our own inner being and feel the energy shifts that are coming. But I don't think that that's exactly what the Maya were talking about. Again, I don't think that this is a psychic prediction of any kind. I think it's hooked into the astronomy. And I think that my website has more in-depth and also shorter essays on the astronomy of 2012 than any others that I've been able to find. Infinitelymystical.com. And uh, again, uh, some, some free essays there to download and all of the things that you've heard Thomas talk about tonight and also an audio book uh, that will also be, uh, is, that's available also on Infinitely Mystical or will be shortly, correct? Yes, yes. And that is a free download as well? Yes. It is. Uh, yes. Okay, Thomas. What... Uh, so, what, any plans for 2012 for you, or uh, are you going to are you going to go down to uh, to uh, the Mayan Peninsula and, and check this, this? I would uh, love to be down there at Azatha, you know, right there where there's a throne that the king sits on to watch the sunrise. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great to be on that throne? I'll say. The day? I'll that say. That would be really fabulous. Uh, so uh, you're not going to get down. It's a very small site, and there's already plans to bring lots of people there. So I'm a little claustrophobic, so I don't know if, <laughs> if that would work for me, but it would be interesting. All right. Uh, and um, so then are you excited about uh, about post-2012? Are you you're optimistic? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, definitely. And what is the source of that optimism? You know, I think, again, this is all about the rhythms of nature and the rhythms of not of life and being in wonder and awe about the unfolding of every new moment. And it's just the way I go through my day. It's just, it's just fabulous to be alive and be able to take advantage of the opportunities that we are presented. Although, I mean, the, uh, the, the metaphor of, uh, you know, the, the rebirthing uh, and the sun mm, being sort yeah. of in the birth canal, birth is very, very painful. It can be quite, uh, it can be everything. You know, it, it's, um, that's why I think it's such a wonderful metaphor, because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to show up. If you're inside an egg, you know, and you're the chick, and you're about to break out, you don't know what's going to be on the other side of that shell when you peck through, you know. But you do it anyway, because your body has now gotten stronger, and it's now time to move to a new level. And you open up, and you go into a new world, and explore and see what you've got. Thomas, as always, thank you for, for this, my friend. It's always a pleasure talking to you, Richard. Thanks a lot. Thomas Rosetto, infinitelymystical.com. Check out those uh, those essays. And um, 
Again, along with uh, Marie Jones' book on uh, 2013, I think those will sufficiently allay your fears. When we come back, open lines until 1 o'clock. 416-360-0740-1866-740-4740. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. And as we uh, head uh, into the uh, Christmas season, just about six and a half weeks for those keeping score, uh, Mary Jones mentioned the quickening. Uh, to me, the quickening is always uh, alluded to um, the uh, the unbelievable passage or quickness of, of the passage of time, and um, to think that Christmas is only six and a half weeks away. I mention that because I want to draw to your attention um, a, a fundraiser for um, Saint John the Compassionate Mission, which is um, doing a wonderful job of taking care of the homeless in Toronto. And uh, they are offering some uh, some wonderful deals on uh, selected uh, Christmas uh, gifts and decorations at the Estates of Sunnybrook here in Toronto, which is right beside the Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center. It's the coach house. And um, up to 50% off, I'm told. And all the monies, again, will go to support St. John the Compassionate Mission. And uh, this is going to take place on several dates, November the 16th from 12 noon to 9 p.m., November the 17th and 18th from 10 a.m. to 9 p.m., so a whole day affair, and November the 19th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Again, Christmas trees, ornaments, giftware, a one-stop Christmas shop, free parking. Again, it's the uh, Estates of Sunnybrook. That's at um, 2075 Bayview Avenue in Toronto, the Estates of Sunnybrook, and uh, it's at the Coach House. Again, money's going to support St. John, the Compassionate Mission. Uh, they do God's work in um, in helping the homeless in Toronto, and I hope you will uh, uh, visit the Estates of Sunnybrook, and uh, hey, the, you know, it's it's not like you're, you're giving something for nothing. You're getting uh, some tremendous uh, deals on, uh, on tr- Christmas trees and ornaments and gifts and so forth. All right. Uh, as I said, open lines now until the uh, the top of the hour. If you want to talk conspiracies, if you want to talk um, uh, a paranormal experience, uh, we would uh, welcome your calls. And I see here at the top of the list is a, another good friend of the program checking in, and that is Nelson Thal, our uh, our media scientist. Hey, Nelson, how are you? Yeah, it's good to be back on. How are you? What's going on? Always lots going on, Nelson. Let me get your take on, on, on 2012 before you get to uh, what's on your mind. Do you think uh, there's any, um, any reason to fear the winter solstice of 2012? I think it's like the other um, belief structures and things being created rich. It's, um, it's a distraction and a heist. You know, we have the gold 
heist of the 60s. This is going to promote a whole industry, just like Y2K. You know, we never just seem to see the heist, just like Bruce Willis showed us in the movie. It's just a heist. You know, we had the gold heist of the 60s, the oil. They took oil, the oil heist of the 70s. The 80s, we talk about this all the time, junk bonds. They took control of the corporations with Bolsky. 90, they took everybody's savings and took control of all their loans. That was El Dorado with Neil Bush. Y2K was a big, big industry. They sold a lot of nothing, created a, uh, created the disease, sold them the cure. And sort of Enron was the same thing. And this is another distraction from Lucifer, a Luciferian distraction. A Luciferian distraction. From the well, rise of the unholy Roman Empire. Well, that's interesting. Distract Be us from it. Okay, but... Uh, is it not possible, Nelson, you, um, you study scripture extensively and in depth, is it not possible that the, 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 the 2012 date could perhaps yeah. coincide with the begin of, uh, beginning of what Christians refer to as the tribulation, that seven years of, uh, uh, of upheaval, cataclysm uh, that will happen uh, before Armageddon and, and eventually well, the second coming? It, yeah, it's, let's, let's put it this way. While it's dangerous to set dates, because even um, El, Yahweh um, hasn't told El Shaddai yet the actual time he's going to send, he's, gonna, he's to go. So even he doesn't yet know. So we shouldn't waste too much time uh, predicting it with, with, without any solid support. What I would say is this, the events that we're, we're looking for, that Bible study students are all watching and scholars is, of course, the rise of the Roman unholy Roman Empire. Of course, Jake, Jeremiah, Jer, uh, Jacob's trouble, as mentioned in Jeremiah. These events are about to come. We've had the four seals. The four horsemen are about. You can see them with. Now, of course, we've got a worldwide pandemic. So-called. <laughs> but it's a yeah, so-called a worldwide pandemic. But this is the thing. Uh, now, the, now the, the thing is we're waiting for the fifth seal, martyrdom and great tribulation, as you say. And whether or not it pans out onto 2012, I would say this, that in Luke it says that um, uh, Satan was uh, seen falling like lightning. And in Revelation 14, he's, uh, he's cast down to the earth. And then begins the Great Tribulation after he's cast down to the earth and he no longer has any place else to go. So watch out for lightning is what so you're saying. 2012 may be when he's cast down and is the lightning when he... And whether it is, well, you know what, like everything else, once uh, the prophecy comes about, we'll know it and you'll see it. All right. Now, Nelson... You know what I'm saying. I do. Uh, you wanted to talk about these uh, Ford Hood killings. Well, it's interesting. Yes, you know, I think it's very exciting to watch what's really going on backstage in the global theater um, back in April of 2009 you'll know that we started to talk about um, the psychiatrist death list yes and we noted that there had been uh, reports from reliable sources that the psychiatrists who program the sleepers are being murdered the people that create the Manchurian candidates Right. So you're, are you remember, we've had the biochemist death list, including Dr. Kelly, yes. the top guy. And so that was to keep that silent. And just to keep the cover-up going, they've got to kill a lot of other people. And certainly um, we're starting to see the psychiatrist 
So, so uh, reading between the lines here, and I don't really have to read between the lines, you're being quite clear, that you're suggesting that the, the, the alleged shooter, this Malik Nadal Hassan, who was, after all, an, an Arab and a Muslim, uh, we can't deny that, that he was a Manchurian candidate uh, programmed to kill 13 fellow military uh, personnel in Texas. Uh, why? Well, let us not be so naive to forget the D.C. sniper case, Mm -hmm. that it came out after the fact that you recall at the time of 2000 leading into 2001, there was a lot of doubt on people's mind as to whether or not Bush had won the election. It was a hanging chad. It was the Supreme Court who chose them, not the electorate. So there was a lot of discontent. And in order to manage that, they brought the D.C. sniper out and started this guy in Washington shooting at people just at gas stations. I mean, George Bush owns all the gas stations. So he didn't run the operation far from home. And it was Sheriff Moose with his mongoose calls on the television that was telling the sniper where to go next. So oh, wait a minute. The, the mongoose. Ex- Come on, let's wake up. There's sleepers. Explain the mongoose call. Psychiatrists. And um, they sent this DC sniper out to, to get people's attention off of the election and to give them some time to do the next job, which, of course, was 9-11. Explain the, the mongoose calls, because I remember uh, uh, the, 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 one of the press conferences, yeah, it was the sheriff saying something like, we snared him like a mongoose or something. And I thought, that's a strange choice of words. So are you saying it that th- that was the trigger? It was a trigger sentence. He had the trigger sentence for the sleeper. A duck, oh, a duck in a noose. That's the word he used, a duck in a noose. Yeah. So the thing is this, it was that odd. When we heard that, we realized, well, that's a call to the sleepers. How come the chief, how come the chief is issuing that? That's a little bit out of whack. So, so again, the idea here is to use uh, this um, uh, Arab Muslim uh, as a Manchurian candidate and to... Uh, uh, to sure. stir up, to stir up, uh, you know, uh, hopefully not, but perhaps a, a fear well, or a backlash against uh, the the Muslim community in the United States. It, well, f- for what end? To what end? Well, let's not forget that the ruling elite uses fascism, has used the ide- belief structures of fascism and communism, um, to, and and they create these to promote genocide and mass murder. And, of course, they use them and they work together as Hitler worked with Stalin, and then they're used to go to war. And the whole purpose is to segregate people into groups and create mass murder, war, genocide. So perhaps so to... Uh, to these to, are uh, belief structures for the 21st era. And perhaps to, uh, to uh, garner some, some support for more troops in Afghanistan. Uh, Nelson, listen, uh, i got to go to a break. We should remind uh, people that coming up on the 22nd of November, we'll be doing a big JFK special. Of course, you'll be here in studio for that one, uh, being one of the, uh, the, the, the pioneers in the JFK assassination research field. So, Nelson, I look forward to having you here on the 22nd. Cloakanddagger.de cloakanddagger.de, exactly, the website. All right. We'll uh, take more of your calls. Uh, Someone else wants to get in on this Fort Hood massacre as well when we return. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. All right, let's pick it up with um, Eric in Michigan. Eric, welcome to AM740 and The Conspiracy Show. Hi, Richard. Where are you calling from in Michigan, Eric? Davison, east of Flint. 
east of Flint. And how are you picking us up? On the good old radio or online? Uh, the good old radio. Excellent. The signal's coming I in loud and clear. I promise you, uh, you're on every Sunday night, are you? I am, from 11 till 1. Okay, well, I'll be tuning in uh, every Sunday night. I appreciate that, Eric. Welcome aboard. You wanted Thank to you. Uh, also talk about this Ford Hood uh, um, uh, m- massacre. Indeed. Uh, Ron Paul of Texas had uh, uh, immense success in uh, co-sponsorship of H.R. 1207 to audit the private corporation, Federal Reserve, yes. for the first time in its history, mm-hmm. uh, which would have most likely revealed some astonishing insight, uh, such as uh, who are the stockholders of the Federal Reserve private corporate banking cabal. And let's not forget that a year ago, when the Wall Street gangster bankster bailout occurred, uh, it occurred after a week when uh, American uh, people began to wake up and and, uh, demand accountability that uh, Congress not authorized the bailout, so they didn't, and then over the weekend, uh, I'm sure there was some insider bribes uh, offered, and then the following Monday, Hankster Gangster Paulson, who had relinquished $40 million a year for 180000 as Treasury Secretary, threatened, literally threatened Congress with an economic meltdown, riots, and martial law if they failed. Yes. But you, uh, let me just uh, summarize here. So you're in connecting this to uh, the Fort Hood killings. Are you suggesting that it was a, a, a distraction uh, to draw people's attention away from Ron Paul's efforts to, to audit the Fed? And if so, why would they have picked an Arab a Muslim uh, to do that? Here's the connection. <laughs> yes. Yes, they did. Also, this... Uh, Health Care Reform Act uh, vote that occurred uh, yesterday, right? Yes. Last, last night. They passed it in the House by one vote. Yeah, it was a diversion for that as well. And the connection is, uh, no doubt, the CIA has the Manchurian candidate program. And there's, if you're not aware of this, uh, Whitley Strieber, unknowncountry.com, uh, interviewed uh, a Howard Shefflin who authored Mind Manipulators uh, several years ago. Well, I've, I've, I've done a number of programs on MK Ultra and uh, talked to mind control victims, and of course, we're we're all familiar with the uh, the uh, the uh, the Dr. Ewan Cameron experiments up at uh, uh, Allen Memorial Hospital and McGill University in Montreal, and uh, so yeah, that. That chapter is uh, is well known on uh, to my listeners, but it, and it's not closed yet. Certainly, that chapter, although the CIA uh, claims that they shut those programs down in the seventies, I don't buy it for a minute. Well, of course, it's all it's all highly uh, clandestine. And uh, Howard Shefflin, my manipulators, and then a medical doctor uh, who was interviewed by a retired medical doctor himself, eight years old, out of Santa Cruz. Uh, website is uh, Radio Liberty, RadioLiberty.com. This, uh, oh, that's I'm, Stanley Monteith, my good yeah, friend. Yeah, I know Stanley. He inter- great. He interviewed, I can't remember the fellow's name, but it was he was the fellow who produced Monarch the New Phoenix. Monarch the New Phoenix. And anyhow, the connection here is uh, George W. Bush in, 
its first inaugural speech, January 2001, which I never planned to hear. In fact, I sat down on that day simply to take a meal, flipped on free speech TV on satellite network, and here's the end of the speech. I think it was the second or third of the last sentence. He says, there's still an angel in the whirlwind directing the storm. Well, then, after uh, Paul Wolfowitz stated on uh, on behalf of the people of the New American Century, PNAC.org, that yes. they needed a new Pearl Harbor uh, to garner American patriot support for a new global American empire. He said that that's virtually word for word. Sure, no, we've said. discussed that at length as well on the program. Um, okay. So Here, let me just get back, back because we're almost out of time here. Uh, I, 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 I want to get back to why... Uh, the Manchurian right. candidate in this case was right. a, an Arab Muslim. Okay, here it is. Uh, George W. Bush, subsequent to 9-11, said very grandiosely, it's the new crusade. I'm a war president. I'm waging war on your behalf. It's the new crusade. So again, it's a, it, it goes back to Afghanistan. They, wanted, they want to uh, uh, create uh, greater support with the American public for... Uh, putting additional boots on the ground in Afghanistan. He said, Richard, remember, he said, it's it's uh, a global war on terror. It's a global war on right. terror. How are they going to, need to establish a new American empire after their new Pearl Harbor? A, a global jihad, a, the new crusade. Exactly. Eric in Michigan, thank you for your call. Hope you'll call again. Bob in Wisconsin, I'm sorry we left you on the line. Please uh, try and get in touch with the with us next week and I'll put you ahead of the class that's my promise to you Bob alright uh, my thanks to Dan Ellison and uh, back next week St- uh, Stephen G. Bassett UFO Disclosure Advocate will be here hope you'll be along for the ride move over Aphrodite I'm coming home Good night. this podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.